What is up? Greetings and welcome. This is John Michael Banks, host of the Alpha American Podcast. This is episode 35. I am, all, as always, joined with my co-host, Eric Hawthorne. It's good good to be back, y'all. That's right. How's, how's everything going, brother? Going pretty well. No complaints. How about yourself, man? Uh, going good. Going good. Ready for this warm weather to finally hit Kansas City. Snow, I cannot believe how much like just snow and ice and, and horrible temperature drops we've had and it's like we'll have a couple of cool days followed by a nine degree day i'm ready just to have my my whole allergies everything been messing up so ready to get through with that so just ready for warm weather uh so besides that hope everybody has been doing well out there uh our listeners our community uh yeah as always we have a lot to talk about today one thing i wanted to just start off with me and eric was just talking about and i was like i definitely want to get this on tape is one of my favorite shows in the entire history of my life is to catch a predator to catch a predator that show ever since it first aired is just like a special mini series and then it became an ongoing uh, show it was just amazing to me because like i was saying you don't feel bad for the pedophiles who get caught trying to elicit uh contact with a young child you just feel it, it kind of reminds me of, of catfish mixed with cheaters okay yeah i can see that it's like uh you know an amalgamation of the two they just joined them together like the tv producer wasn't even like clever he's just like you know what this looks good and this looks good let's just combine them it's a very very simple setup for a show when you think about it like a pedophile doesn't have many options in terms of meeting kids in that particular age group they're going to do stupid stuff. They're going to make mistakes. And a lot of them go to these houses and say, oh, I knew it was a I knew it was a setup. I've seen this show before, but they still do it. They know the risk far exceeds any kind of gratification you're going to get. But because they're mentally unstable and, you know, pedophilia is like a, a, a mental illness, they can't help it like they they purposely do the thing that they know is going to ruin their life and you're going to end up in jail for eight years and your wife's going to leave you your job's going to fire you you're going to have to be on a sex offender registry probably for the rest of your life and they still do it is it just eight years is that all that they get i think it's state by state i I think the majority of my see is like they get like six to eight years for and it depends also on if if they've had any prior convictions uh, if they sense any kind of lewd photographs to uh, who they thought was a child, uh, it's just a different array. Some people have walked away with just a couple years, uh, but that's usually first time offenders who didn't say anything, you know, anything you say to a, somebody who you believe is a child over the Internet is is crossing a line. But it's certain certain things. Like I remember one guy showed up with like some duct tape. Really? Yeah. It, guys have shown up with like sex toys. Uh, and then there's the guys who try to claim that they had no intention whatsoever to do anything with this child, but they have condoms. They brought some uh, smearing off ice, you know, just like yeah. wine coolers that a kid could probably handle. But, yeah, it's like you're you're ridiculous to think you're going to come to a house. A grown man's going to pop out of the back door and you're going to talk your way out of it. Yeah, I haven't. I don't know when the show went off the air, but I haven't seen it in over a decade. But, you know, it was something that we religiously watched in my home, you know, during high school. And um, 
you know, I just remember the guys with the horrible excuses, you know, completely caught off guard. But then they would have the um, actress play the child <laughs> and she would always be screaming from the back rooms like, oh, yeah, m- my mom and dad, they're not home right now. First uh, red flag. Right. Red flag. And, uh, you know, make yourself comfortable, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they just come in or somebody would, you know maybe be completely derobed and they just uh you know the host chris hansen would come out like you might want to put a put your clothes on are you chilly hands where i can see them keep your hands up there right you know and i just i don't feel bad for these people because they are coming to do a lewd act with a child Mm -hmm. but you have to take into consider you have to think to yourself man why did you do that? Why you just couldn't control your impulse impulses, and this was what you wanted—a child. It's really sick, and um, I think they took it off for that reason, though, because they—I think they were saying uh, the argument was that this was entrapment. I don't know. Do you remember? It definitely, why? it definitely was entrapment. Mm-hmm. But it's—it it just goes. I don't know. I feel like if it, like the TV show. Do you remember the show Bait Car? No, but from the sound of it, it sounds like a nice car. Maybe yeah, somebody they, get get in and try to steal it. Yeah, they would okay. literally drive into the hood with a nice Lexus or something. And they would have, say, like a clueless looking white woman or just some dorky looking white guy get out the car in, in plain view and leave the leave it running. And of course, a bunch these these people who are just seeing an easy opportunity for a come up jump in the car and take off mm-hmm. and then they have the car rigged to automatically shut down and then they have cars you know speed up and tell them to get their hands up and then there you go you're going away for uh carjacking i think i vaguely remember the show but yeah that definitely seems like entrapment, entrapment. Ju- just for the entertainment of others yeah and, and a lot of these people are just it's just the look on their face as they find like they realize what's going on like i've been tricked Mm-hmm. into taking the bait and doing something i know is sketchy is oh somebody's just leaving their car running in the middle of this neighborhood right you know this person who doesn't even look like they belong in this neighborhood like you know something's going on but you still do it and in certain aspects i do feel bad for them and other i'm like just don't steal the car yeah i mean yeah don't steal the car i completely agree but when you put it in that context, that definitely sounds like uh, an entrapment scenario. Yeah, it, it presenting somebody with an opportunity. And that's that's the majority of what crime really is. Most of these crimes are crimes of opportunity. They see right. a, a opportunity to pull something off and get some extra money and, and hopefully not get caught. And it, it, it's not what it seems like mm-hmm. most of these. It, it, I wish people would understand, like uh, if you commit a crime, chances are the crime you're committing they have people looking for you specifically so of course they're going to put you in a situation where they want you to take the bait where they want you to do something to slip up to make their jobs easier same thing with uh people who think they're buying i just watched the youtube video the other day and it was this guy who was trying to rob an undercover cop during a deal to buy some pills Mm -hmm. because you know that's that's the thing with this opioid epidemic is it's making addicts of people who don't you wouldn't necessarily think, you know, have a pill addiction. So a uh, white woman that looks like she's from the suburbs coming to buy some pills, you know, 100 pills is an easy target. 
And as soon as the cops pulled up, he started crying and saying how, you know, he didn't want to do this, but he had to do this. And now you're about to go to prison for pulling a, a gun on a cop. Like your life is is not over, but it's impacted negatively for a significant amount of time because of something stupid you did. Anyways, uh, to catch a predator, I have zero zero sympathy for these people like of course and if if you got to think about this is the time they did get caught and they all say this is the first time i've ever done anything like this or you know it was all one big misunderstanding i don't believe that for a Mm -hmm. lot of these guys a lot of these guys got a look about them that just says you've been doing sick stuff for years and you know if i had a a opportunity to be in chris hansen's shoes i would definitely do it it's a great show but yeah, it came back a few years ago. I believe they called it Hanson versus Predator. What? Yeah, I, I, th- I believe that definitely sounds like Alien versus Predator. What kind of title was that? <laughs> well, I believe MSNBC owned the rights to To Catch a Predator. Oh, okay, I understand. And yeah, he had it on some other network. But yeah, it was Hanson versus Predator. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just crazy how many people have actually seen the show and still go through with these. Like, there's certain red flags that happen on every show like the girl comes to the door and it doesn't look like the girl you've been talking to Mm -hmm. and it's just like hey come on in and then she walks away from the door it's like okay that's weird and then you go in and she's steadily walking towards the kitchen and she doesn't stop to greet you in any way like she's never met you right red flag number two and then whenever they try to go in for a hug or a handshake she's like oh no Uh, i'm kind of nervous and it's just like you know this is a sting, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you really are you really just holding holding back hope that you're going to get to go somewhere with this kid? But yeah, it's just a crazy show. One of the greatest shows ever created, in my opinion. And they need to just make one in every state. Like uh, every state, every single that's state. very that's very uh, ambitious. You don't want to even start with region first. Not no. Southwest catch a predator. Southwest or <laughs> Hanson versus predator. Uh, northeast. You just want to go state by state. Yeah. Okay. So I, what, I, I so feel like and what what time frame? How how much time does Chris Hansen have on his plate to be able to do this? Okay. No, okay. So let's let's get this straight. It doesn't have to be Chris Hansen. Every does state. it does it not have to be Chris Hansen? <laughs> you don't think it will work with somebody who's not Chris Hansen? Who are you going to get, Howie Mandel? It doesn't even need to be like it. Just needs to be an asshole who's just like, why don't you have a seat? Okay. Oh, oh, you didn't mean you didn't know you were coming to me to thirteen. Let me read some of the stuff you said. You want to get the co-host from? I mean, the host from the Weakest Link from back in the day. That would be dope, actually. That's actually yeah. a good pick. Is it? Yeah, let's, okay. let's send I said that, that in jest. And- no, no, that's okay. an awesome pick. Like, why did you come here to this house? <laughs> you are the predator. Goodbye. That's a great, great, great show. You should pitch that. Okay. But no, every like, just like we have local news, we would have local to catch a predator. And then maybe that way we would cut down on pedophiles trying to meet kids online because it's just mm-hmm. like, damn, I'm going to end up on my local to catch a predator. Mm. You remember? Do you remember when they start uh, initiating that thing where people who got caught trying to pick up prostitutes they would, like show their pictures on the news? Oh, you talking about where? Uh, you talking about locally? It was like the John List or something. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and prostitution went down drastically after that because right. you, you had teachers, 
You had you had paramedics. You had people in different positions who were just going to pick up some prostitutes. And then now they're like, oh, now if I do that, not only will I get caught, everybody would know about it. I like how you just worded that as just to go pick up pick some up prostitutes. Some like it was it was a normal thing back in the day. Pick up some groceries in Kansas City. Now, if you're from Kansas City from way back in the day, there were certain streets you knew that you can go to procure some ladies of the night in like Troost and Prospect were mm-hmm. those streets like you knew. And yeah, people would just go cruising for prostitutes and that cut that down dr- dramatically. Uh, just the other day, we were, I was with JC and he has his mother has a shop on Troost we sometime pregame at. And it used to have just women loitering on the corner waiting for a john to come pick them up but now it's like just so cleaned up it's gingerfied you know you have people jogging down the streets now and it's just like wow that's so crazy that's where toothless betty used to stand oh wow yeah yeah truce had a lot of uh a lot of i don't know i don't even know what the, i'm not going to say anything to disrespect anybody but they were ladies you wouldn't exactly pay a high dollar for but sadly you know Drug drug abuse and prostitution goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's get into uh, our actual discussion topics for today. I'd like to thank you for sending me that picture of uh, the new Batman suit. I would never not have seen it. I've been living under a rock for the past few weeks and just spending less time online. Okay. Uh, just I, taking a break. I online. understand. We have to have that social media detox. That, yeah, just uh, a cleanse. Yeah, uh, I understand. Just taking the time to read more and, you know. I've been rereading, uh, rereading the autobiography of Malcolm X. And As am I. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I do. So you don't pay attention to me. I just told you this like a few weeks ago. Uh, right now, I am right. Uh, basically, he he. I mean, this isn't spoiler alert. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm I'm basically uh, where uh, he and uh, he's. Just got out of prison. You know, he's stumping for Elijah Muhammad. He no longer works at the uh, auto factory uh, anymore. And, you know, he's he's basically Minister Malcolm and he's on the come up right now. So uh, that's kind of where I am in the book. Where are you? I am. uh, Yeah. A little past the part where he gets out of prison and he is pretty much just building it, getting built up into the nation now. And it's crazy because I've also I don't know if you've been. if you've heard about the Netflix docuseries, uh, Who Killed Malcolm X? I've heard about it, but I have not watched it. Yeah, I've, I've actually sat down and watched a couple couple episodes, which are really interesting because that led me down a rabbit hole of just like different black nationalist groups. Like I, I re and that, that's kind of what made me go through and try to reread this is just to get a grasp on the man because it's from a point of view from people who knew him and people who were there in the Audubon ballroom why it happened Mm -hmm. and different people who are on the police force who Mm -hmm. are retired police officers who were you know covering that case at the time and it just it's very interesting just looking how we set our you know the black nationalist movement has steadily progressed and the different branches it has because you know I used to think that the Nation of Islam was the you know first real black nationalist group and uh, their leader, you know, uh, Wallace Farad or Ford or whatever the hell they pronounce it as. It's pronounced in different ways, but pretty much the teacher of Elijah Muhammad actually came from uh, the Moorish sciences. Uh, are you familiar with the Moorish science? No, I'm not. Uh, they're a very 
they've been called extremists, uh, but they just have a very specific view on black nationalism. And they kind of sprung out of Marcus Garvey. They were started by a guy named Noble, Noble Drew Ali. Mm-hmm. And he actually died under mysterious circumstances. It's crazy because all these leaders happen to die. And, you know, have you heard of the five percenter nation? No, I have not. I've not heard of that either. Oh, well, they are. Well, their leader actually came from the nation of Islam. I believe he's one of the people who was excommunicated by Elijah Muhammad. Because if you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, you know a lot of people got excommunicated right. by the nation. Yep. And they, you got ostracized. And I believe it was Malcolm X's brother who, who they said lost his mind after they, mm-hmm. you know, excommunicated him. And yep. he just didn't have any kind of family unit. He ended up going crazy. But yeah, they, they pretty much kicked a lot of people out. And one of these people, uh, they kicked out, I believe his name was like Clarence 13X. Yeah, I've heard of him. But yeah, he started this uh, 5% nation. It's more based on like knowledge and learning truth of self. And they believe, I believe it's 85% of the population live in ignorance and pretty much buy into the lie Mm -hmm. that they are fed by the mainstream. And then 10% are the people who control everything and pretty much dole out the rest to the 85%. And then you have that 5% who know the truth and combat uh, that doctrine, trying to control the people. And that's what the five percenters are. And they're an offshoot of the Nation of Islam. And their leader actually got assassinated by members of the nation, allegedly. Yeah, make sure to put that allegedly. Allegedly, because, yeah, (laughs) the nation does have some some wide uh, uh, resources, so so to speak. But, yeah, uh, they don't play around with slander. But yeah, it's believed that they also their leader was also assassinated by the Nation of Islam. And it's just so crazy. And then you go into like the black Israelites that that popped up a little later who are nut jobs, absolute nut jobs. Like there's certain things in the Nation of Islam I've studied and there's certain things in the whole five percent nation I've studied, certain things in the uh, Moorish sciences I've, I've taken a look at. But the black Israelites are batshit crazy. Like they are like they believe that they are the true descendants of like the Israelites from the Bible mm-hmm. and that the Jews here are just like fake Jews. I think I've heard that, um, you know, that thinking before, but, you know, I don't necessarily I don't believe, um, you know, I, I don't I, I agree with some of the principles with the nation, um, but actually doing research on where this uh the thought process and uh the beginning of their religion and why they think or what they believe you know i really don't believe in any of that just like i don't believe anything that you know maybe uh joseph smith made us may have talked about with the uh the mormons or whatnot but i think one of the important things to do is you can look at the religion and you can take the good and you can take the bad and you can understand uh, basically the the principles of what goes on within the religion, such as uh, with the nation. They really teach uh, self-reliance, good health, uh, you know, staying away from um, at the time it would have been. um hard drugs, liquor. Uh, now they probably have switched over to talking about the opioid epidemic. I'm not sure. Uh, but you know, and it was all about bringing 
about unity as well. And I think those are really important principles. So, you know, looking at all these, uh, you know, these guiding principles and thoughts, I think, um, you know, I, I think it's important as definitely a Af- young African-American man or woman to kind of, you know, delve into uh, just kind of understanding what maybe Minister Malcolm would have believed, uh, even though there was a lot of hypocrisy going on within the nation, particularly on the uh, hands of Elijah Muhammad. Um, you, I, I, it's not, I really just, I don't know why I keep thinking like spoiler alert if you didn't know, but it's, <laughs> it's not a seen, movie. You haven't it, seen the movie yet. But, you know, uh, Elijah Muhammad definitely had uh, many uh, children by young women within the nation. And that is one of the things that broke uh, Malcolm's trust of him. Um, and it was Elijah Muhammad's son, correct? Who told him of this? To Malcolm, who, who, yeah, I believe it was uh, Elijah Muhammad's uh, son who yeah. came to him and told him. Uh, sometimes I conflate things with the movie, right? But they, they get kind of confusing, especially with Ali and yeah, in all the different uh, iterations. But you know, I would highly suggest reading the uh, uh, the biography and kind of getting to know more about um, our our black. Black figures, uh, not just Martin Luther King and uh, who else is who are who else is taught during Black History Month? Uh, Frederick Ro- Douglass, Frederick Douglass, Rosa Parks. Uh, they typically will teach more um, docile. Is that it? yeah? I docile mean, Negroes. If, I'd say more traditional pacifists. They they're, they're not going to teach about the Nat Turners. Or, yeah, Nat Turner. <laughs> No, definitely not. They or won't teach the about Haitian uh, revolution. revolution. No, they're not going to teach about these figures, uh, which we are going to talk about. I, I was just doing a lot of research, and that it's just so incredible. Like I don't know why, how there hasn't been a movie about the Haitian revolt. It, it's the only time that black people have been able to fight off their slave owners and create an actual functioning uh, democracy. It's 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 such an incredible story. We're definitely talking about that. Mm. But yeah, it, it's it, one of the things I love the most about the autobiography of Malcolm X is just learning the original uh, beliefs of black Muslims in this country and how wrong they were <laughs> compared <laughs> to like the actual Islamic religion and just the the you know story about how black people existed in Mecca and you're talking about Dr. like the, Yacob, the who, big headed man, yeah, the big headed yeah. scientist who, right. who did germ splicing and created white people in the Caucasus mountains. Yes. Uh, that's the, I was being a little bit politically correct <laughs> PC when I was talking about some of the things that I don't believe with <laughs> the nation. And those, the, those are definitely one of the fundamental aspects of the religion that I don't believe that I think this supposedly happened a few thousand years ago or something like that, where this, uh, big headed scientist as, uh, he's referred to, um, <laughs> over and over again, uh, that, you know, he, did this germ splicing and uh ultimately the the white man was created and so that's why i kind of made the comparison with joseph smith of mormonism who looked into a hat and basically deciphered golden tablets yeah he Uh, also said that indians were white men originally who were cursed by god right that's where the red skin come from yeah so you know you know you you have to 
like look at these things in their totality. So what the nation may preach in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, self-reliance, uh, you know, uh, t- care of oneself, uh, protecting one another. You have to understand that that's based off of some very wonky uh, mythos, if you want to you know, say it kindly. Very much so. It's it's a very it was one of those things reading the book as a youngster and having such a it having such a profound effect on my outlook and then getting to that part where it's like, okay, this is what we, it's kind of like Scientology. Like I can only imagine how it felt for somebody who spent so much time in Scientology, you know, learning the principles and the foundations. And then you get to a certain level and they're like, we're going to reveal these secrets to you about what, you know, where we all come from. And all of a Mm -hmm. sudden they're talking about Xenu and, you know, aliens and Thedans and, all kind of crazy stuff that L. Ron Hubbard just decided he was going to write and say he was doctrine. And that's what I felt like with the Nation of Islam. Like they just got to a point where they was just like, this is what how we all started. And it's like, what proof do you have? Right. And, you know, like reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and somebody who is just so brilliant. If you consider just knowing that this man has an eighth grade education, how brilliant and eloquent he is and, you know, dynamic in his uh, approach to uh, his oration skills is just phenomenal. And then him talking about how excited he was in prison, like learning from his brother and, uh, you know, reading upon the nation, just talking about, you know, this big headed scientist. And I'm not making a joke talking about this big headed scientist that Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley um, refers to him as the big headed scientist or the big headed man. And what is his name again? Dr. Yacob. Yes. And uh, I actually had to Google it. I look, I, cause I couldn't remember the name like you, Dr. Yacob. I had to look up, Google big headed scientist, big headed man, nation of Islam. And I felt, you know, a little ridiculous for doing so. But, you know, this is the um, the lore that pulled Malcolm X into, you know, ultimately the nation. And I guess others as well, like Farrakhan and other notable uh, uh, followers of the nation of Islam. But, you know, this is somebody that was created by the not not Elijah Muhammad the 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 gentleman before him who taught him right yeah Wallace Farad or Ford they yeah. don't know because they cannot find any records Record. <laughs> of who this guy and then yeah the, the earliest thing I've been able to come up was in my studies I didn't realize he was a member of the Moorish sciences right and he was actually an individual who was claiming to be the uh reincarnation of the founder of the Moorish sciences mm-hmm. uh the noble drew ali and they were like no you're not and so he left and then he started doing his teachings and then he met elijah muhammad and then that's where the nation of islam popped up from right but yeah pretty much this guy was was just looking for a movement and nah they they weren't having it and he made his own so it's just so crazy to think like the progression of the movement or that particular movement and how it, it, you know, and then we have the black Panthers that came after all of that. And they're right. probably one of the most significant black groups in our, in our culture's history. Very significant, important. Um, you know, don't, 
let um, I don't know. I, I guess the dominant white society tell you who the Black Panthers were. You go and do your research. You know, definitely. Well, the dominant white society is as pretty much demonized all these groups. Like, I agree that the black Israelites probably should be on the, I believe it's the Southern Poverty uh, Law Office's mm-hmm. list of hate groups. Okay. I get mm-hmm. that. Yeah. They, they definitely should be. Uh, but like the 5% nation, they're, I believe they're on there and they're also listed as the a gang in the FBI. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Black Panthers, the new Black Panthers, well, the old Black Panthers, you know, we all... Uh, well, you might not know how much, you know, J. Edgar Hoover hated the Black Panthers and wanted to eradicate them like he, they wanted to eradicate the nation of Islam. Right. I just, you know, I just hear a lot of people who are misinformed talk about that the Black Panthers are the are analogous to the Ku Klux Klan, which is nowhere near true. If you take a group and, you know, compare them to a group who goes around lynching and killing people when uh, there's this group of people were talking about uh, self-preservation, self-reliance, talking about feeding our children, putting in uh, after school programs for uh, kiddos and stuff like that. Um, then I think you need to reevaluate your thought process because that is not remotely true. I mean, you see the more militant pictures of um the Black Panther Party with uh, guns and stuff. But I thought that was one of our uh, inalienable rights to, you know, protect ourselves, to bear arms. So it's interesting when you see a picture of one of the founding fathers uh, with a musket or something like that. And uh, Patrick, I think it's Patrick Henry. uh, Forgive me if this is incorrect, says, give me liberty or give me death. And then a black man, uh, uh, nearly 200, over 200 years later, uh, does the same thing. You know, he's not advocating violence, but he's saying, Hey, give me liberty or, you know, give me death. Uh, You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's either this or that. What's the most striking Malcolm X picture you can think of right now? Malcolm X picture looking out his window with his uh, uh was it AK AK forty seven. That is such uh, iconic. Just, yeah, just such a powerful picture of just this man. Like I'm gonna protect my home right. by any means necessary. Like I'm. Don't worry. I'm not gonna depend on you guys for the right. protection. I got this. Right. And so, that that image of a black man protecting himself and not waiting for somebody to you know save him or, or turn the other cheek. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> I listen now uh, in in my early 30s. The people I listen to the most now are Malcolm X and James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. These are two completely different men who walk two completely different paths in life. But I listen to them and they're I mean, just the pain and the love that comes out of their speeches is just magnificent. You've been on Baldwin for a long time. I've just gotten into Baldwin in uh, recent years. I mean, Baldwin is not going to be taught to you in schools, uh, particularly if you uh, go to a predominantly white school. Uh, But Baldwin (laughs) is somebody that you need to teach your children uh if you are african-american a man or woman you need to teach your child you need to learn about james baldwin and uh don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't because yes he is uh gay but i think that's another reason why maybe some uh black families don't teach uh baldwin or bayard rustin you know i just i i, I just get chills 
listening to these men and how their their struggle is applicable uh, to what's going on today. I mean, wh- I mean, who do you listen to? Oh, yeah, I definitely listen to James Baldwin. I actually credit him with the improvement of my relationship with my brother, who's who's also a gay black man. And mm-hmm. just listening to him and his experience and how just articulately he puts things and really connects with the, the soul of a human being. It really helps you to reassess your evaluation on certain things. And my brother wasn't wasn't the type of man who, you know, is, is talks about certain things. So to hear somebody talk about those experiences, I can only imagine, you know, what it's like, you know, being a black man from a white man's perspective is unimaginable. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine, you know, as as my brother went through life as a black man and a gay black man, the kind of struggles he must have, you know, encountered from a community that openly reviled them. Like, you know, if you grew up in the early 90s or the late 80s, you knew, like, you're going to have a tough time growing up as a gay black man, mm-hmm. especially from our community, let alone the entire world. And so hearing James Baldwin's experiences, it just really changed my perception on a lot of stuff. But yeah, he, he's he's my favorite author. He's, he's one of the most talented authors in American literature history in my opinion. It's just crazy reading back. And I, that's another person I've been going back and reading is, is his collection of short stories, which is probably one of my other favorite books besides the autobiography of Malcolm X is uh, going to meet the man. And it's just a collection of several short stories. And each of them are mm-hmm. amazing. One of them is this story about a lynching. And it's just like, and it's told from the perspective of a young white child who's being taken there with his father. And it's just like written as a father and son experience in a warm, loving family moment. But it's centered around this horrible, monstrous act. And it's just so it's just so crazy. Someone can write a story that's about one thing, but it's actually about another thing. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. But yeah, uh Actually, that's it's a good thing. Good way to segue into uh, another one of our topics today is uh, I really wasn't planning on talking too much about Dwayne Wade again and his uh, son transitioning into uh, a female uh, Zion. I believe his name was originally and now uh, transitioning into Zaya. And yeah, I really was not planning on bringing this up again. We spoke about it on the community group. We spoke about it a little bit of a couple episodes ago. But Lil Bootsy, another uh, regular on our Facebook community page, popped up and he had a bit of a rant in regards to uh, Dwayne Wade's video that he posted, you know, or the interview he posted in regards to him just accepting his uh, his daughter now and them saying that they they knew that they were transgender from the age of three and they're just they're not just you know homosexual and they just you know just on this journey to help accept their daughter into their neuro and Lil Bootsy was I misunderstood it because I was reading everybody talking about Lil Bootsy saying that they're gonna you know pretty much go through gender reassignment surgery Mm -hmm. which I haven't been able to find anything saying that they were going to allow this 12 year old to Mm-hmm. go through you know that that extreme like that that's uh, in terms of transgender i remember and i hate it, i don't want to be offensive but the the earliest introduction i had to anything in regards to transgender was in silence of the lambs where oh. the, you know he was talking about people who are transgender and people who actually go through the sexual reassignment surgery and they have to actually meet with doctors and they actually have to go through 
counseling sessions to make sure this isn't something that's going to be done and then you regret it. And because there's a, a high suicide rate around uh, among transgenders who go through the surgery. And I don't know if it's due to regret or they're just not getting the acceptance they expected, but it's a high suicide rate around amongst that population. Mm-hmm. So I remember them talking about, you know, them, you know, a lot of people associating that, associating that with like a mental disorder because certain people don't need to go through the uh, reassessment surgery. But I haven't found anything in regards to them. say I don't think a kid can get that surgery. I don't believe that they I, I, I don't know. I don't I mean, know I, either. I, That's, just for, forgive my ignorance. I don't know. But I know that they can start the hormones. I do know that. Yes. And I that and I understand Bootsy's thoughts on a child having a life changing surgery, you know, before they've even experienced life that 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 would be a a misstep on a parent's, you know, part from my perspective. I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. I like to say that up front, Uh, but I can only imagine at my at the age of 12, if I told my mom I wanted to do something that extreme her and her letting me do it. I can only imagine the ramifications that would happen later in life. You know, even in, in college, I can only imagine if I went through with certain things and, you know, long term decisions. I don't even have a tattoo right now because I, I would probably be stuck with something I regret. So I can only imagine something as life changing as altering your your genitals at that age. You know, so I, I understand what Bootsy was coming from. I think they were probably speaking more in terms of just support emotionally and you know not trying to talk their child out of what they believe their their lifestyle is uh but yeah i agree with you in regards to uh, hormone therapy being pretty drastic Mm -hmm. because you're changing the physical biology of a child who hasn't finished developing and and that is i believe also dangerous to the development uh, healthy development of a child i do think that they should live their life however they want to live it but when it comes to actual long-term changes in that person i think they need to hold off until their their brain is fully formed and they can make those decisions as an adult so if that you know i i definitely understand people saying bootsy's wrong i'd understand parents saying that Dwayne Wade's wrong. I do definitely think you should support your child. You know, the last thing I want to do, and we talked about this on the community group page, the main focus was nobody wants these kids committing suicide because they feel they're not loved and accepted by their parents or their community. We can all agree on that. But it also comes a point where you got to think like certain people have certain customary beliefs and certain cultural beliefs and certain religious beliefs. And they're not just going to accept everything, you know, right off the bat. This is still, I think, a relatively new way of thinking mm, for yeah. our community. For our community, yeah. Yeah, just say, boys so. saying I'm going to, you know, not only experiment with my uh, sexuality and, and gender identity, but, you know, I might possibly definitely be a, be a girl at a young age. It's something new for most parents. And most parents... Don't know how to deal with it. I don't think my mother would have known how to have dealt with it back then. I can only imagine what she would have done now that she is a little bit more knowledgeable about certain things. But I couldn't imagine how I'd probably take that situation. I know you are a much more mature, reasonable person than me. So you'd probably handle it a lot better, Uh, which is why I don't have children. I'm doing the responsible thing with my life and not 
<laughs> making more problem people because more somebody, problem people. Huh? Yeah, I feel like if you did grow up in a household where your lifestyle isn't expected, you're going to go out and you're going to go into this world thinking you're not accepted, you're not loved. You're not you're going to assume the worst in people. Mm-hmm. And you know, unfortunately a lot of those people are problem people. I'm sorry to say it like that, but you know, we all don't need people to feel like there's no place for them in society. So, you know, F society. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think happens with, you know, certain minority groups. They feel like, why should I do these things? You know, I asked earlier, why steal the car? And those people in those certain cases don't have any reason not to steal the car. I mean, we have reasons as people who have things to lose in our life. We, you know, have to go to work. We have to, you know, do our taxes. Uh, Certain people just look at life like, why? Like why I know I should be paying my taxes right now, but I'm not. I know I should be paying child support right now, but I'm not. I know, I can't tell you how many people I've known have gone to jail for child support. Well, uh, yeah, they're doing the Wesley Snipes when they're not paying their taxes, but child support, they'll definitely come and get you too. Yeah, and it's it's certain aspects where you look at people like, why are you not doing what you need to do to be a functioning part of society? Right. And I think part of that is just growing up in feeling unwanted or feeling un unloved Cornell West has a, has a quote and it's, I am who I am because somebody loved me. And unfortunately, a lot of these people just don't have the love they require. So I definitely agree with Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle union in saying they're going to love and accept their child, no matter what, you know, and then you have these other parents who are going forward with like hormone therapy at you know for kids before they hit puberty because they don't want to experience you know their voice dropping or facial hair or things like that you know Mm -hmm. to remind them they are biologically born as a male Mm -hmm. so it's just a a hard situation to be in as a parent my heart goes out to them because i can I, i can imagine just the the hate they're receiving about a lot of this but you know some people are hateful people you know we've seen it on the community page where people are just ignorant yeah, I'm sure we'll get uh, we'll probably get a lot more uh, feedback from the community page after, you know, this airs or whatnot. But, you know, we usually get quite a, an interesting blend of people who tend to argue with one another. You usually have um, one people who are very dogmatic on one side and the other on the other. And then sometimes you get the in between um who are just like, eh, let them say uh, uh, lovey. Is that the phrase? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, uh, just, you know, let them live. And uh, it's just interesting because this is a black family um, in the spotlight. And normally what happens is a lot of times in the spotlight, you'll have somebody like Caitlyn Jenner. Um, that's the most recent person that I can think of who's made a had a gender gender uh, reassignment surgery uh, that's been famous. I can't think of anybody that's young and white. I mean, not younger, but I remember the Wachowskis. The Wachowskis, yeah, but nobody really know the Wachowskis are not in everybody's. Face. No, no, yeah, you're right. You're you right. Know, they're not mainstream. They're not. Pro- ma- I know about them, and you know about them because yeah. they're movie buffs. But right. it was big in my head, like because first yeah. one did it, and then the other one did, it, and I was like, right. oh wow. But, you know, with keeping up with the Kardashians, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, was very much so in the spotlight. Now with Dwayne Wade and his family, um, 
you know they're, they're in the their spotlight because Dwayne Wade is you know an ambassador for basketball. He's a three time champion, um, you know, and now he's making that transition into retirement. So you know he's on TNT, uh, you know, doing uh, some broadcasting or whatnot. And his wife, of course, is Gabrielle Union, who is a movie star as well as uh, I think she was on America's Got Talent for a while. Was that it? Yeah. yeah okay. She was. But, you know, she's since left the show, I believe. Um, so I think this has caught the black community's attention, basically, uh, as opposed to, you know, with the Caitlyn Jenner situation or like you said, the Wachowskis. Uh, and I think that it's particularly b- caught the black community's uh, attention because it involves a child. And so, you know, with what our background and our cultural beliefs, whether they're based off of religion or um a lot of times, um, just the parenting style in black households, you know, they typically clash with um, the, you know, like I said, the dominant white society. And, you know, we may not feel that, OK, well, what goes on in your household does not necessarily go on in my household. And I think that if, uh, like I said, we were talking about earlier, if Lil Boosie was more um, tactful in his approach uh, then I think that's basically the message that he was getting across. Now, I don't think you should be looking up to Lil Boosie as the beacon of <laughs> uh, intelligent black thought, just like Pastor Troy. And we were talking about that as well. Right. Uh, but I think that my overall opinion is uh, I would support my child and uh, their um pursuit of finding themselves. I would support my child in the fact that if they came out to me and said, you know, uh, dad, I'm gay or dad, I'm a lesbian. Okay. You know, we'll ask a few questions and I'll be like, you have my, uh, undying support because I love you. I think with this particular situation, I would do the same. However, there is a caveat. I would say that I don't I feel that you should not have the gender reassignment surgery. And I do. Not, and I also feel that, you know, you shouldn't take the hormones until you're older. Now, I don't know what risks there are with the hormones in terms of if you take them at an older age rather than a younger age. I don't know if it's better to take them at a younger age because, you know, you're about to go through puberty or you're going through puberty. I don't know if it's easier to take them then as opposed to later in life, but I would say like you, because your brain is more developed at the age of 25 in your twenties, then that would be the time to undergo the surgery, undergo the hormone change. Um, but that's just personally my opinion. I don't think we've heard anything about him actually going through the uh, surgery. I don't think that's been stated publicly. Um, so we're a lot of these come from assumptions, uh, I think, online. But, you know, we would love to hear continue to hear your thoughts on this. Is it more so a cultural issue that the black community may be having with this situation? Because I think that I think it has really grasped the attention of black people. You know, I see a lot of support. Um, sometimes I see, I don't really see any negative comments though. If I'm going to be completely honest, I see a lot of support on my timeline. Yeah. The people who I see, you know, being vocal against it are the people who I would expect it from, Mm. you know, they're the people who 
are convinced there is a gay black agenda and there is a conspiracy to feminize black men and okay. demasculate black men. And, you know, we've been talking about this for years with the whole black guy in a dress, you know, yeah. in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, discussion. And, you know, I believe Dave Chappelle was one, maybe one of the first people to talk about, you know, in Hollywood, in order to be a successful black comedian, for some reason, at some point in your career, you got to end up in a dress. And, you know, they tried riding him into a dress on several occasions and he just didn't understand why. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that discussion has been going on a lot. With, you know, in the last few decades. And then you have the instance of rappers. You know, we had the Young Thug era with people wearing dresses and people wearing purses. And, and then you have the, the rainbow dreadlock guys. And, and you know, it, it's just I remember when I was in high school, it was like skinny jeans. Like people were just like, oh, that's gay. They're trying to push the gay look on us. And it, it, it's it's certain things that I do believe is is ridiculous in regards to this being like an agenda and then there's certain things i do see and it's just like hmm like i'll be watching something like why is the one black black guy the gay guy yeah and it's just like are are white people more inclined to run into the one black guy they know being gay or what is it because that's happened in several shows i was like oh okay the they're doubling up on the on the minorities I see like that happens a lot. And it's just like, okay, I get it. But it's, it's, it's always in the form of, we're going to just use these to say, Oh, we have a gay person and we have a black person, but we don't have to use two cast members. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just certain things. It's like, okay, like, I don't know. I kind of feel in certain aspects we're moving too fast because I feel like the black community just now started being cool with the whole idea about being gay. Like I knew family members or I've known people who have had family members who that's just like, yeah, we don't mess with them. You know, they're living that life, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it is cultural. I think it is religious. I think it is because uh, there's people like Umar, uh, Dr. Umar Johnson, who doesn't believe homosexuality is a, is a, a black construct. Like we, he says we don't we didn't know about homosexuality until the Europeans. I don't believe that. Uh I mean, I knew about like uh, Egyptians practicing like homosexuality, but I can't really think of any like African tribes who were just. I mean, it may not be documented, but 10 percent of animal species practice uh, some sort of uh, homosexual behavior. So humans are an animal as well. So I think that would affect everybody now, whether it's documented or whatnot. okay, or maybe more culturally accepted then okay but i think homosexuality affects every race and has effect, affected every human um since probably the beginning of time i mean I, that's just my opinion i don't really listen to dr umar johnson all i know about umar johnson is that some people were wondering if he really had a doctorate and how if he was a real doctor <laughs> yeah uh people yeah but a lot of people don't like dr umar johnson uh, i don't dislike him i just don't know who he is he's yeah he's he's pretty i i do he's one of those people i like louis farrakhan okay certain people certain people you like to listen to because they do say things that are interesting and thought-provoking but then they say things like you know start mentioning the jews and it's like oh great now we've reached Mm -hmm. this point in the discussion where i got to tune out but yeah umar johnson he doesn't he doesn't believe in like interracial dating he doesn't believe in homosexuality uh 
it's just a lot of stuff that he says that some of it is some very thought provoking, just like how he feels like uh, they're trying to use uh, ADHD and special special education classes to purposely keep certain students from learning. Mm-hmm. And it, it, some of it's very interesting. Uh, other other things he has to say is just like, Ugh, come on, man. I'll have to, um, you know, look up some of his videos or interviews on YouTube. Because he believes uh, George Washington Carver was castrated. I've heard that theory as I, well. I've never heard that theory before. Yeah. I heard him say it and I started doing some research into it. I guess a lot of people think he was castrated because of his high pitched voice. Mm hmm. And yeah, just certain things I've seen proven against it. Like he had facial hair and in most cases, Mm -hmm. someone who's castrated before puberty wouldn't be able to develop facial hair. Uh, But yeah, it's just interesting seeing, you know, that it goes back to the whole black nationalist uh, conversation because he's from the school of thought of Marcus Garvey and the whole Garveyite return to Africa movement type deal. Uh, And he's actually a descendant of Frederick Douglass. Johnson is? Yeah. He's a descendant of the... He's a direct descendant or is he like a cousin? He's a cousin. His, his, oh, okay. Well, he actually says that the the man he knows to be his ancestor who was cousins with Frederick Douglass is a possibility that they may have actually been siblings because they were both raised on the same plantation and it's a possibility they had the same father, but they don't know. But they know for sure that they were related. Through he doesn't have any DNA analysis to... Or evidence to prove I'm this? Not sure who he is. That's a bold claim to say you're a direct descendant or related to uh, Frederick Douglass. So I'm just making sure he has the proof. Yeah, and he, he has some that. interesting thoughts on on Frederick Douglass too. He says he he if not for the fact he married a white woman later in life, he would have been the most uh, prolific black leader in our history. So just because he married a white woman, that just that takes him down a peg take some down a pig okay yeah because he and that's also one of the interesting stories that we that never gets told is that frederick douglas was one of the first black men to ever marry a white woman in america mm-hmm. and that was a big deal like her parents were actually abolitionists and they didn't want that to happen they were like no that's ridiculous you're not gonna marry a black man even though <laughs> they were pro anti you know anti-slavery and fought for abolition they you know, everybody's progressive until they're they're forced with actual progression, and then it's like, whoa! I'm well, not look too... who's coming to dinner. Exactly. Oh my god! Nineteenth century edition. That is the movie we should write. Oh, is this going to be a comedy or is this going to be uh, serious? A I dramedy, just, maybe. It's got to be a comedy. Meet meet Frederick. Oh, okay. You know, he he was born on a plantation. He ran away. He's turns out to be the smartest black man in America. Uh, who is to play Frederick Douglass? Oh, that's a good question. Morgan Freeman's about 40 years old, too old to play. He's never too old. <laughs> Morgan Freeman is never. Well, he did marry this woman later in life. Like his kids were almost grown. I may have been grown in mm-hmm. like college age when his, his, his wife, his first wife died and he remarried this white woman later on in his life. And it was just crazy to think a black man could even do that. Because you got to think anti-miscegenation laws didn't get erased until like 1968, I believe, late late 60s, early 70s, some places. Mm-hmm. But this man was married to a white woman in the 1700s, like or the early 1800s. 1800s. Yeah, 1800s, early, mid 1800s. Yes. 
but yeah, it's just crazy to think that, uh, yeah, black history. So that was the black, black uh, history black factoid history of the day <laughs> that uh, Frederick Douglass was married to a white woman. We've had plenty of black history. The Nation of Islam believed that white people were bred in the Caucasus Mountains by big head scientists. The big headed man. Dr. Yacob. Yes. Uh, that that Malcolm X knew a man named Rudy. I wonder why specifically he had a big head, why that was so important. <laughs> they just wanted to make sure he knew something was wrong with this guy. <laughs> I just <laughs> And through germ splicing and incest he created Caucasians. Or I think they I think he refers to him as Caucasoid, actually. He may have. I can't it remember. Was very scientific it was, the way like you could tell someone picked up a science book to trying to get some terms out of it. I think he got a little bit from Malcolm and then uh, Alex Haley got a little bit from Malcolm. He said, well, I'm going to have to fill these pages out and let me go do some research. And he's like, "Uh, okay." that's actually something interesting. I was also thinking about because in the notes he was talking about how uh, Martin Luther King, I mean, Malcolm X would like scribble notes on napkins and stuff like that. He would just like collect them Mm -hmm. and that helped him compile the autobiography. And I just wonder, where are these napkins like, is, is there like a, a storage locker with Malcolm X's handwritten? C- can you imagine? Like, that'd be some crazy stuff I would buy if I was a billionaire. Like, the napkins of Malcolm X. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if that means too much, though. I think Steven Spielberg wrote his uh, prenup on a napkin. So, Somebody might want to have that. Yeah. Somebody might be like, hey, that's some valuable history. But just little notes of white people, bad. <laughs> well, uh, I, I would while reading the biography, I was wondering, I was like, where is all the supporting like documentation, documentation just because that would be work. This should be in the Black National Archives. Why? Where is this information? Uh, so or this documentation, because it would be extremely valuable to see the handwritten notes of uh, Malcolm X. Yeah. And there is the unpopular belief that Alex Haley did take certain liberties with the story in mm-hmm. order to finish his book. Well, is it, I have thought that because I'm not, because Malcolm X was killed at 39. I would think that um, me as approaching someone to their mid, you know, mid thirties. Now I wouldn't necessarily have everything like written about my life. But then again, Malcolm X probably most likely knew that he was going to die. He knew that he was going to die young, but um, just the amount of information that is in here. But then again, there is a lot of filler in there too. You will have mm-hmm. to admit that where, you know, Alex Haley, pretend, I don't want to say pretend, but Alex Haley, I think using the voice of Malcolm X starts going into these long tangents that I don't think Malcolm X would talk about, like uh, the hillside or the how beautiful the countryside was in uh, Lansing or something like that. I don't think Malcolm X would talk about those uh, particular things. I think he would talk about his family. I think he would talk about the nation. But then, there, as you know, there are just tangents in the book that just don't seem yeah, like getting something, getting a line of credit about. from a Jewish gentleman. <laughs> yeah, you know, talking about that going on and on and, you know, back and forth. And there are, there's a lot of, uh, you know, imagery painted that I just don't think uh, Malcolm X would have the time to go into depth about. Yeah. And plus, I'm pretty sure they had voice recorders at that mm-hmm. point in time. 
And yeah, it would have would have just been tapes upon tapes upon tapes if if he would have literally sat there and went into that much detail about every single particular <laughs> aspect of his life, you know, from right. an orphanage to you know the boy system and you know going to prison. It's and then a lot of that stuff probably would be documented with court records, you know, right? You know, after he becomes a ward of the state and you know when he starts getting arrested and when he's trying to get you know somebody's trying to draft him into the army and he plays crazy and. You know, a lot of that would be documented, but, you know, other things, probably not so much. I really want to know the identity of Sophia. Who was Sophia? Yeah, I want to know if Rudy was real. Right. So there's a lot of different things that, you know, it's just very interesting about the autobiography of Malcolm X. And, you know, you just want to know the because, I mean, you know, Sophia is fake name that they use for one of the women that Malcolm X was involved with. And she was married to somebody who was in the armed services. And why was it so important to protect her um, identity? Yeah. Identity. So, you know. Yeah. And you got to think these people have grandkids and great grandkids and Mm -hmm. just like, hey, let me tell you about a a story about your grandma real quick. And wow. (laughs) No, I think that's I think it's important to know. Like, I, I don't like the fact that they that certain people get to die without being like, all right, this is what was going on back in the day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, like Shorty, I always wonder where's Shorty at? What happened to Shorty? Yeah. I guess we could do some research after this. Finding Shorty. Finding Shorty. Yes. I did, you know, and uh, what wasn't explicitly uh, known from the movie was that Shorty was like 10 years older than Malcolm X, you know, You know, so it's I think it's really important to read the actual words of Malcolm X as told to uh, Alex Haley. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's certain things that you just just like uh, the scene where he's getting told he couldn't be a carpenter. Like that's that means one thing at watching it, but like hearing his thoughts and just how soul crushing it was and the depth he went into to show how much that affected his life moving forward. You know, this authoritarian figure telling you, you can't be a lawyer. You can be a carpenter, though. Right. You know, and just the dramatic effect that had on him, even as an adult, you Mm -hmm. know, and him just having to break that mentality, you know, reading about it, just getting such a a more profound insight on the wrecking effect that had does way more than just seeing, you know, a little boy be sad. Yeah, definitely. Uh, The words are very impactful. Um you know, just I've read this autobiography. I think this is my third or fourth time. Uh, this is the most I've understood it, though. I think I began reading it. Uh, the first time I read it was in the seventh or eighth grade. And, um, you know, of course, when you're that young, you kind of gloss over certain passages, maybe skip a few pages, et cetera, et cetera. Now that I'm hanging on to every single word that Malcolm X um, you know, uh, told Alex Haley or Alex Haley has written. I just, I just think it's so fascinating. I just think it's fascinating that this, this man came from a broken home with a broken system and he still was successful and he was able to find his voice and he was able to find his identity as opposed to somebody uh, like Martin Luther King grew up in a middle class household. I mean, who skipped several grades. His father's and, a preacher. Yeah, I mean, kind of had a leg up. If, if my father works in construction, I'm going to watch him do his job and right. pick up 
skills. Malcolm X, he grew up in you know foster care after a certain point. And right. Yeah, you're right. It's it's one of the most amazing stories in American history of this of this kid whose family was destroyed, his father was murdered. Uh, you know why he was still a young child by the Klan or their their that Midwestern offshoot of the clan i believe they're called like the black knights or something something like that i can't yeah. remember and then your mother lose her mind and then you have to survive through the uh child care system in the 19 you know early 19 what 30s mm-hmm. 40s uh, but, and then you have to live your life and, and provide for your si- siblings and then you see him go up to new york and start his life of being a hustler and then right. you see him go to prison and you see him learn the teachings of a nation of Islam and, and leave prison a new man with this mission to, you know, shed light on the evils of the white man and bring up white uh, black people. And then you see him shift into the understanding of what the actual teachings of Islam is and him being more inclusive for all people. And it's just an amazing it's probably one of the most important character arcs in U.S. history. But they don't teach that last part. No, they yeah. don't. They, they, they don't teach that last part. Yeah. Time, I believe it was Time Magazine called him like a hate mongering demagogue who got what he deserved. And it was just like, wow. OK. So, so what are we calling Thomas Jefferson and George Washington or uh, uh, what's his name? Andrew Jackson. <laughs> heroes. Right. So, Absolute heroes. Um, so, yeah, I think. Malcolm X, I mean, is probably the really the embodiment of the American dream. Somebody actually pulling themselves up by their their bootstraps, you know, the proverbial bootstraps. Um, I just think he's an amazing man, uh, amazing family man, loved his uh, wife and children. Um, And that's not taught. um, It's not taught that at the end of his life, he realized that hate was blinding him, that misinformation was blinding him, that he couldn't um, allow his past experiences to shape his future, you know, but that's not taught in school. So it's important for you to teach your children uh, that aspect. Yeah, I think in terms of pulling yourself up and becoming something amazing, I don't think anybody else besides Frederick Douglass has you know, was able to do something like that because, you know, he was a slave. Then he was a runaway slave. Then he was a laborer. And then he, you know, taught himself all of this, you know, everything he needed to know to verbally fight back against slavery. Right. And, you know, become an author and show people exactly from his perspective what slavery was. And it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to say black people are happy about being slaves. And then you have this actual slave saying, no, read the story about my life. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you in regards to that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the flow of this episode. It, it kind of stayed with the course of the community. Happy Black History Month, everybody. Just in case you got to learn a few facts this episode. Uh, but, yeah, we want to rem- uh, remain engaged with what's going on in our community. And ask the questions. I, I didn't post the Bootsy Dwayne Wade thing on the community group because it's just honestly draining. It really is draining trying to keep hold of, of these posts and not letting them get out of hand and trying to wrangle, you know, where conversations are headed. And I just did not feel like dealing with it. I'm sorry. You guys are too much sometimes. And I just couldn't deal it, deal with it. 
it, it's 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 i'm gonna make eric an admin so he can deal with it every once in a while it, it's it's super draining and then you have people saying stupid stuff and then you have people reporting your group and it's just a lot it's a lot my i don't know if i told you the page got restricted again for some reason i'm just sick and tired of it but you know as we move forward we will be changing things up we will be doing different stuff we will we do still want to hear from you guys in regards to what you like to hear is it the interviews is it the news items is it our cultural topics for the community what is it that you like to hear email us at alphamerican06 at gmail.com or you can message me on facebook or message our fan page on facebook there's so many ways that you can contact us but just let us know we know you all are out there please do that it helps tremendously uh but yeah like like i said we're going to be trying to change things up in the near future doing some some different stuff hope all of you like it if not that's cool we'll we'll move from there uh so yeah uh good episode thank you for joining us uh once again folks thank you eric once again i always like to make sure to tell you i appreciate you for your time and effort that you put into this endeavor as well oh no problem brother and yeah we will be changing things up but first thing i'm going to do is change the batteries to the smoke detectors that keep going <laughs> off in the background and if you didn't hear it now you will not be able to unhear it well if you don't know now you know <laughs> brother right all right well thank you all once again for joining us here at the alpha american podcast thank you all who've just been continuously riding with us as we continuously grow and try new things and just try to find where our our flow is so as we continue to grow i hope you all will continue to grow with us as always i am john michael banks here from the alpha american podcast along with my co-host and associate eric hawthorne uh, thank you for joining us that's right. Uh, episode 35. You all be safe out there and peace out. <laughs>